I, I'm kind of okay with where I am now. I mean, <laughs> I don't need that much more. And so, you know, when you, when, when you've won the game, stop playing. Um, I, you know, I, I could take on more risk, but I, at this point, I don't really anticipate needing much more than I, than I currently have. So I'm, I'm just as happy with, uh, with a little bit of a smoother ride. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 251. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Dude, going well. How are you? Doing well, man. It is, uh, I guess we're about to start school again for a lot of kids across the, the country and the world. It's a little know, nuts. Sad. Summer's gone away. I know. So it's fast. quick. It's quick. <laughs> I know, man. You have any travel for us this summer? Or are you no, we don't. Down? Not for the rest of the year. Do you guys? Yeah, we uh, we got one more one more little trip. It was planned for July, but some things kind of changed that. So we're going to take it here in uh, in August. But that's it, dude. I'll be kind of wrapping up and already kicking around a bunch of the fall plans. It's going to be a busy fall for us. Three kids now and school for two of them. So it's busy. It's busy, man. So we were talking a little bit before the show uh, about target date retirement funds. The good, the bad, the ugly. Do you do them? Do you not? When do they make sense? When do they not? Yeah. What What's your take on them? I mean, I have my opinion, target date retirement funds. I think, you know, and I think everybody that listens to this or most everyone probably knows what that is. I mean, it just uh, starts really what, Jace, is like an S&P index fund is my understanding or a mutual fund or a collective of basically a total market. And then as you get closer to retirement, it becomes a little bit more heavily allocated in bonds. And so it kind of ebbs and flows when you're younger. It takes a more aggressive approach, invest more in mutual funds, equities, you know, equities across the stock market. And when, as you grow up closer to retirement age, it adds more and more bonds to your portfolio with the thinking of, hey, you're trying to not be in the compounding stage, but more in the preservation stage of your retirement and your wealth at that point. So I think it's an interesting model. I think it depends. My take is I think it depends on where you're at in retirement and how much you have in retirement. If you have more than, you know, a couple million dollars, me personally, I would take a more aggressive approach and not go as heavy in bonds. But I think if you want the peace of mind and it comes down to risk strategy, then maybe that's a good option, right? I mean, it's kind of a layman's approach to not having to move around your finances and change funds and buy and sell. But what's your take? Yeah, I think it probably makes sense for some people. Um, you know, I don't, in terms of like myself, I don't, I've never used one. You know, I think it gets into a little bit of the the modern portfolio theory of, of trying to, you know, get a return with that, with as little risk, you know, as possible. You know, my personal thought is I'd just rather play to win than play not to lose. And, you know, if I end up kind of my personal thought is like, heck, if, if, if I, if I didn't get enough bonds and I didn't keep my portfolio at a certain level when I get to that retirement age, then I mean, the economy must be crashing or something, you know? And so I, I prefer to probably be, you know, much more aggressive with my approach, you know, from an investment standpoint, but who knows that may change, right? I'm in my early thirties still. And, and I may think differently at some point where I'm, I'm more worried about preservation than accumulation, but just for my phase of life right now, you know, I don't, I don't have any bonds and I don't see any need or any near term future getting bonds. I know it's preached and taught, you know, along with the modern modern portfolio theory and, and just in general that investment advisors will typically, you know, try to steer you towards bonds and these target day retirement funds, I think do a nice job of essentially kind of creating that balance for you that you don't have to go in and, and mess with it or adjust on your own. And so it is kind of a, a set it and forget it, you know, and I think it makes sense for some people probably, but I, I don't, I don't use them myself. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're starting off and you don't know what to do and Hey, what's my approach and what's my risk tolerance and how much am I going to have? I mean, I agree with you, Jace. My approach is still just stick it in an S and P or a total market index. Yeah. They caught, they started catching on what? I don't know, five, 10 years ago or something. Yeah. Five years ago, maybe. Yeah. No, I think in, longer than that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, our, our guest today, we get in this discussion with him. In fact, this, this week we have Mark, he's got a net worth of 10 million with his pension 
little over half of it's between his retirement accounts and brokerage, but 63% right now is in stocks. And he mentions that he's going to retire here in about four years and three or four years. And he's going to basically kind of move that to a 60-40 allocation as he moves closer. And he's been doing that for for quite some time. So he's, in a sense, been a little more hands-on, but definitely participated in in somewhat of these target re, you know date retirements, but by his own own accord without putting it in a specific target target they require or a retirement fund. So interesting conversation with him and approach. Last week we had Jennifer, her net worth was a hundred million, grew up really poor, had 80% in in one stock. And then, you know, another five to 10% in the current company uh, that she was a part of. So anyway, if you've got any questions for any of our millionaires, you can email us at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Submit a question on our, our website as well. We love listener questions that we can either Clark and I can discuss and or we can ask an upcoming millionaire. So without any further delay, let's get into the episode. All right, Mark. Well, thanks for joining us and, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. Yeah. So so give us a little bit about you, just a quick little ele- elevator pitch or overview about who we're talking to here. Sure. Um, I am a physician. I'm actually a physician administrator. Um, I work for a large um, medical group, multi-specialty medical group um, in Northern California, just outside of the Bay Area in, in California's Central Valley. Um, I actually, um, we have a two-household family. My uh, husband uh, lives full-time in the Bay Area and works there, and I spend the week out here in the Valley and uh, commute back during, during the week. So we're currently kind of running two households. Okay. And what's your current net worth? Current net worth is uh, about seven point six million. Um, wow! Not not including the the present value of uh, any pensions. I have a sort of a complicated pension plan that's that I'm not including in that as well. Okay, and what would, if you had to value that? What would you value the pension? Um, I I actually spent some time looking into this over the last couple of weeks. I'm um, uh, currently at about two point five million present value. So you're if you count that, that's you're ten million. Yeah. Yeah, I, I realized that when I was pulling my information together for this. <laughs> well, congratulations. Good ah, for you. <laughs> so let, we'll we'll take out the 2.4 or 5 or 6-ish for the pension, but the 7.5-ish, how yeah. is that broken up? So about um, 5.5, 5.6 is in various investments, and um, t- about 2 is in our, resi- our two primary residences. Um, it's been kind of a nutty year, obviously, for real estate. So that has gone up fairly rapidly. So the, the 5.5, is that mo- that's mostly in the stock market then? That is. So um, got, uh, the 5.5, the way that breaks down, um, I have about three or so in uh, a brokerage account, um, which is split out uh, currently about 68% stock and 32% bonds. And I've got uh, 20,000 cash kicking around in there as well. Um, retirement accounts um, are at about 2.2, broken out 60-40. 1.8 of that is in 401ks and 43bs of various sorts. Um, about one and a quarter is pre-tax, and about 550 is in Roth 401ks, um, and then about 215 Roth IRAs between the two of us. Um, then I also have a deferred um, some uh, a deferred uh, uh, income account. I deferred some of my um, income for several years. I was I wasn't attending, and so that's sitting at about 350 right now, and that's all in bonds. Okay, so you're 62.38. You said stocks, bonds, give or take. Sixty-two thirty-eight in the in the brokerage account. Overall, I am um, at about 63 percent stocks. Working my way slowly down until um, when I hit retirement age, or when I hit retirement in about four years, I'll be at about sixty forty, where I'll hold for a little while. Yeah, and is that mutual funds, just index funds? I assume. Uh, yeah, all, uh, essentially almost all in. Yeah, all, all all index funds, and most are just um, total market uh, index funds. Within the four hundred one k options, there there wasn't really a total market, so I've put a couple other things together, but they're all kind of broad. Right, funds. right. You're a little bit more limited on the retirement accounts. Yeah. So was it always sixty forty mark, or has that shifted as you've gotten older? It has shifted definitely. You know, for for uh, uh, you know going into you know, the last of the decade or so, the last uh, five years before um, uh, retirement, it was it was more aggressive. That was, you know, 80 percent for for quite a while, then down to 75 percent. Um, and then just in the last so, last couple of years in the run up to hitting age 55, I ratcheted down fairly quickly to 60, um, 40 uh, or to, to me, 65 um, percent when I hit 55. And I'm kind of ratcheting it down about one percent a year um, until I hit retirement. And and so the five and a half, you said 2.2 in retirement, about 5.5 just in brokerage accounts. So that's all you could spend at penalty free, right? No issues. I'm sorry, once again. The 5.5 that you have, that's just in a traditional brokerage account, so it's not tied up in retirement, right? Just the 2.2 millions in retirement? Uh, 3.1 is in the brokerage account and 2.2 is in the retirement, yeah. 
Oh, 3.1. Oh, 5.5 was total investment. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I've asked this a couple times to people that had to some of our millionaires who have a higher net worth because I, I just think it's interesting to get your take. So yeah, why, why not be 80% stocks, 20% bonds because you have such a high amount, $5 million in the market? I mean, I, I understand obviously if there's a 50% correction, you lose $4 yeah. million and that's hard to stomach. Right. But at the same time, you, you still have $4 million. I do, but you know, I, 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 I'm kind of okay with where I am now. I mean, <laughs> I don't need that much more. And so, you know, when you, when, when you've won the game, stop playing. Um, I, you know, I, I could take on more risk, but I, at this point, I don't really anticipate needing much more than I, than I currently have. So I'm, I'm just as happy with, uh, with a little bit of a smoother ride. Yeah. Makes sense. When did you, at what point did you first start feeling that way? Um, I, you know, it, it came in degrees, of course. I think in the, within the last two years, I felt pretty comfortable. You know, I, I, if you include the pensions and the pensions, there are some elements that are non-qualified, so they're not a hundred percent guaranteed, but I'm pretty, feeling pretty confident in them. If you include the pensions, I was, I really hit pretty secure financial independence when I was about, when I hit um, age 55. Um, and so since then, it's just been dialing it back a little bit and, and uh, um, you know, just, you know, smooth, smoothing the ride, as I say. Yeah. Is the, the seven and a half or the 10 million, if you include the pension, is that more than you ever thought you would have? Or was that oh, a yeah. goal? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's more than I thought I would have even just a few years back. I mean, it's obviously been kind of a crazy year for um, a crazy 10 years for the stock market. Yeah, yeah um, right. Uh, and, you know, at, at some point, it, it's funny, at about maybe three years ago, um, I kind of came to the realization that we're not really a two income family, we're a three income family. You know, the, 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 the money itself was making a, a very respectable income and also <laughs> all the money invested, you're saying. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. 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 And early on, as you started, and we'll, I want to get into your, your story here a little bit and kind of leave the allocation piece. But early okay. on, did you worry about money? Did you worry that about retirement and, oh, I, I really have to skimp and save here or I might not make it? Did you think about it often? No, you know, I didn't. Um, and it, part of it is just, you know, we have a, uh, at least once I you know, got my current position, we have a fairly generous um, pension plan. Um, so I knew that, you know, I was not going to be scrimping or not going to be um, hurting for the, for the bare minimum in any case. But it, it became pretty clear early on, even, you know, when I was making less than half of what I'm making now when I first started, that I was, I just wasn't spending much. I was saving already over 50% of, of, you know, my take home pay just because I had for so long, you know, by that time I was 40 years old and I had, um, you know, been in pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty, um, penniless situations many times in the past and, and never, you know, more than just a little bit comfortable. I, I just didn't, wasn't in the habit of spending the money. And so, you know, we, our, our lifestyle just didn't change all that much once we finished residency and, uh, you know, just sort of the balance just went to, went to the, the brokerage accounts. So what, what do you spend annually? How much do you spend a year? So, um, at this point we are at about, we, we spend about 200,000 a year. Um, and that includes um, a good chunk of property taxes. We have two houses in California and uh, one remaining mortgage that we are accelerating. We want to have both mortgages complete. One mortgage is paid off the smaller one. We want to have both mortgages paid off by the time we're in retirement. Um, and we also do some fairly expensive travel. <laughs> That's our, our big, um, big budget item is travel. Yeah, but you take two taxes out to two taxes for two houses out of there and a mortgage payment. I mean, that's not crazy spending. It's true. All right. So let's back up here and, and hear how this all started, Mark. Sure. I mean, wh where did you start learning about personal finance? Was this something your parents taught you, something you picked up in school or later? How did it all get started? So really um, getting financially literate. You know, I, I had the I got the basics from my parents, you know, back, back in the day. This is, you know, they taught me how to, uh, you know, balance my checking account on the back of the uh, back of the envelope, literally. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, just some of the basics of, you know, here's, you know, you, you need insurance, you need, uh, you know, just the, the real basics. And that certainly got me through, you know, residency and, and uh, you know, being a grad student and the like. It when when we when I finished off residency and started my uh, attending position, you know, I, I did feel like I needed a little bit more of it on the basics that I had. And so I actually just pulled out the, uh, the old personal finance for dummies. And I actually found it to be a great curriculum. And I still recommend it to people if they just sort of need need the basics. So that kind of got me started. We had some, uh, they for new partners in my medical group, they actually have a one day seminar 
where they go over a lot of the basics of not only our, um, you know, our benefits and our pensions and the like, but just some, you know, some of the basics for, for, for personal finance. And that filled in some of the gaps as well. In terms of kind of getting a little bit more plugged into the, um, the, the global um, personal finance community, I, um, like a lot of people, I, I actually um, got plugged into the the fire movement um, through the, hearing an interview with uh, Mr. Money Mustache, actually back in, I think it was 2013. I had to look this up. It's longer ago than I thought. Um, Mr. Money Mustache on NPR. It was just a real quick snippet. Um, but that, you know, he, that of course got me down the rabbit hole looking at um, you know, various blogs. And I, I, I kind of started reading, reading some of those, realized that the personal finance, or excuse me, the, the, the fire community blogs kind of had a limited scope. Um, so, but it was a really good um, way to sort of frame um, thinking about um, uh, financial independence and, and some personal finance. And that allowed me to, to, to branch out into some other areas as well. And that was what year you said that you came across I, that interview or how long ago? I, 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 as near as I can tell, it was 2013, which seems a long time ago, but that's the only NPR interview that I could find um, with Mr. Money Mustache. Of him so, on there, yeah. Yeah. So eight years ago, does yeah. that mean like behavior changed significantly or, no, it, or were you still pretty good along the way? It really didn't. It, it actually just sort of gave me a framework to, to, to frame it, to an extent what I was already doing. You know, I knew that I need to be, um, you know, uh, uh, saving above and beyond just, just the pension. And I was, and I had it invested. I was a little, uh, it, it, it helped me narrow down my, the, the different types of mutual funds that I was doing. Um, it helped me, you know, put some fine, you know, figure out exactly how much, um, uh, umbrella insurance I needed. Um, it, it, you know, it just helped me fine tune a few things, but I was kind of doing a lot of that already. So what were you doing? Did you have a lot of debt initially you had to pay off for med yeah, school? Yeah, good question. So, um, I, I ended up, I, I had, so I started college back in 1983 and I went to an Ivy league school and, uh, but because I came from a pretty humble background, I, most Ivy league schools are need blind in their admissions. So once you're admitted, they will make sure that you have the finances to, you know, for, for, uh, tuition room and board, you know, it did involve some loans, you know, not a small amount of loans. And, but this was also back in the early eighties. And so the interest rate on the time was about 11 and a half percent. And the, the way that student loans worked back then, I don't know if it's changed at all, but your initial interest rate was the interest rate you were going to be paying on all the student loans that you took going forward. And so that actually carried through graduate school and even into medical school. Although when I started medical school, they actually ratcheted that down to eight and a quarter percent. Now, thankfully, um, I didn't have a lot of undergraduate debt because there were, you know, a reasonable lot of grants in there. Um, and I decided, about, though, at that point that when I went to medical school, it was going to be a state school. I was done paying for for uh, expensive private degrees. So I ended up going to um, uh, UCSF, University of California in San Francisco, which is a state school. Um, and so it was it was extremely cheap. So I actually finished off medical school with I'm I'm thinking that between three degree among three degrees I'm thinking it was around ninety thousand dollars if I remember correctly so not terrible for for someone with you know three yeah degrees, yeah school. yeah agreed and yeah. and how soon after how long did it take you to pay it off about two years um wow. so I really I prioritized things I prioritized when I first started um were I I had to get a new car fairly shortly after um I, uh, started because my, my, my beloved, uh, 1987 Volvo wagon was just getting too unreliable and the air conditioning didn't work. And if you know, <laughs> if you know, California Central Valley, you know that air conditioning is not an option. <laughs> so I had to get a new car and I was, I was, did the stupid, um, dealer based financing. And so I, it was, it was a fairly inexpensive car, but I ended up paying about 33,000 total for it. But that was priority to pay that off as well. So I, I paid off all my student loans and my car loan within about two years of finishing. Which was just as well because that was right before the, um, you know, it, that was that was on, on the downswing in terms of the uh, <laughs> the stock market. So I was just as glad to actually putting be putting that money towards uh, paying off debt. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. So then you pay off this debt, this right. ninety grand ish. Yeah. And and then what's what happens next? Do you start maxing out retirement accounts right oh, away? I was already maxing out. I was retaxing maxing out retirement even back in residency. Yeah, that was. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, wow, wow! Yeah, it's funny. One. It, so, you know, we're, we're first day interns. Um, we know nothing. We're, we're, um, you know, shaking in our boots and the chief resident comes in. And the first thing he says to us is, I hope every one of you is, uh, it has, uh, um, is contributing to your, <laughs> to your 401k. Um, that really stuck with me. That was, that was one of the best pieces of advice that I got during, during residency. So yeah, I was, I was plugged in my 401k even during residency. Wasn't maxing it out then. We just didn't make enough money to, to be able to max it out. Um, but yeah, I, I was maxing it, maxing out everything from, from day one. So did the other um, doctors take that advice as well? I believe, yeah, that, I believe so. Some, some of them thought it was, it was odd advice, but, but I think ultimately everyone did. <laughs> 
Um, so I, so, um, yeah, I was already contributing to, um, you know, maxing out my 401ks. I was putting a little bit in a brokerage account on top of that, uh, in turn, you know, in addition to, you know, really speeding up the, the, the debt repayment. And then, uh, uh, so it, once that was all paid off, you know, it really started accelerating my um, brokerage account. And then in 2010, so just to, and we're going a little sideways here. I, I, when I started my um, uh, position, my current position in the Central Valley, um, I bought a house pretty much right away. You, you, you may recall that 2005 is probably not the best time to buy a house. However, um, I was it was a real priority for me. So I actually ended up getting a, um, a small house here in, in the Central Valley. In 2010, when it was becoming clear that my husband was going to be kind of working in the, in the Bay Area full time. And, uh, you know, the market was pretty inexpensive in 2010. Um, we actually bought a place in in uh, in the Bay Area as well. Um, so uh, I was able to um at that point, they weren't doing these no down payment houses like my my you know, place out in the valley. So at that point, I had saved up enough to um, put down the down payment of the place in Oakland. So thereafter, it's just been kind of continuing continue to max out the retirement accounts, including an after um, after tax 401k contribution that we have the option of doing every year. Um, and then just, you know, the rest goes into the brokerage account. OK, so you've got a Roth 401k. Yeah. Nice. So the two million, you got two million dollars in house now. I mean, yeah. I, I assume most of that has gone up here in the last. I mean, really in the last couple oh, of years, but really the last five, sense. ten years, right? Yeah, yeah. So that the place in uh, the Bay Area actually started started coming up pretty much right after we bought it. So things started, the recovery started happening there um, pretty soon. It was a slow climb until the last last couple of years when it's just gotten nutty. Um, the place out in the valley. Um, so uh, the place, the the um, the cities in the Central Valley that are commuting distance from the Bay Area, they were hit extraordinarily hard during the um, during the housing market or during the housing downturn or the market downturn in general back in 2008. You know, I got my place out here. I initially paid about 400,000 for it. At its nadir, both on Zillow and for the tax assessment, it was at seventy-five thousand. So, from that perspective, I really lost, at least on on paper, lost quite a bit um, in the housing downturn. Um, it's been working its way back up, and I think as of this week, <laughs> Zillow finally has it back at just about what I paid for it uh, all those years ago. <laughs> and what about the house in San Francisco? Are you up on that one? Oh gosh, yes. Um, we're uh, okay. Good. We're, we're close to about three times what we paid for it in, back in nice. 2010. So as you think about the $2 million in house, right. does it make you want to reevaluate and sell some of that or not so much because it's still only 20% of your net worth? Oh, at, at this point. So, you know, my place in, um, in, in the Valley, I would be just as happy to rent at this point. It, it's, I have an old dog. <laughs> he has, he's very used to the place. He has access to the backyard through a doggy door. So I don't have to worry about him during the daytime. So I'll hold on to it as long as I've got, as I've got the dog. I, I will think, think seriously about, um, uh, selling the place and just renting for the last couple of years here. Um, when, uh, when the time comes and it, that has less to do with sort of financial considerations, although it would be nice to kind of, um, you know, cash out while things are, are still where they are. It, it's more about, maintaining another house i mean i just uh, i'm over home ownership to a certain extent mm -hmm. i don't mind the place mm -hmm. in, in the bay area but um it's just a lot of work in terms of the place in the bay area it's a big place so the two you know we bought it not only for the two of us but we have actually had um gosh up until just this last year we have actually had roommates um friends who've lived with us you know all all the way through you know graduate school of course because everyone has housemates in graduate school um medical school and even you know and during residency and then even um when we bought our new place in the bay area a good friend of ours was our roommate at the time, and it was clear we wanted her to move with us. And so we got a place that was big enough to accommodate her as well. So the place we have is five or six bedrooms and two baths for just the two of us. And we had a series of roommates even after her uh, up until just this last year. So now it's just us with this, this six bedroom place. Now I got to say this during this last year, it was really nice to have all that space. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. not only were we doing, you know, did we turn one room essentially into a gym? Um, we both had home offices where we can carry on uh, video meetings without even hearing each other, which is fantastic. And then we could just sort of, you know, be in our own place and making our own noises without driving the other person crazy. So yeah. that, that's kind of nice. Um, it also has a really big yard and, and we were able actually during, um, you know, back during, uh, you know, stay at home, we could set up three different 
small tables and have friends over in the backyard with a lot of, you know, we figured out the whole choreography, how we were doing and, and stay safe. And so we were able actually to um, continue to see, see our friends, at least from a distance um, throughout the pandemic. So it's, it was just extraordinarily nice to have all that space. I don't know how much longer we're going to need that. Um, it, 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 it might be nice to um, downsize. Um, right now, uh, we have appreciated so much that we would actually take a even with the with the the you know the standard um, exclusion for um, capital gains tax on you know personal property, um, if we didn't you know buy something comparable, we would actually take a fairly decent hit in capital gains tax if we were to sell it now. There, there might come a time during the first five years of retirement or first ten years of retirement that we can uh, that we would uh, sell it and, uh, and 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 cash in and buy something smaller. But that, that, you know something to be determined down the line, I think. Yeah. So you mentioned the tax on the capital gains, and I'm just curious about that because Biden is thinking about changing some of that policy. Yeah. With a higher net worth, do you consider that, or do you just say, "Hey, it is what it is." It is what it is. You know, there's 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 no point in my worrying about it. Um, and I don't think it it will would substantially alter kind of the, the what we would do just in terms of the the, the home situation. I, we really love the house. We'd be happy to stay there for for quite a while. And it has a it the way it's set up. We could actually even turn you know long term. We could actually turn. Um, the downstairs uh, into a, a, a unit for, you know, a living caretaker if it really came to that. Um, so it is a place we could actually stay in for as, as long as we wanted. How long are you going to keep working? I'm going to keep working um, up until 60. Um, and, you know, there, there are a couple of reasons for that. Um, you know, at, at 60, um, we, we get uh, included in our um, retirement benefits. We get um, medical and dental insurance. And so that's worth, you know, about 30000 a year. And, and that's certainly not the primary consideration. Um, but, you know, it, it is a consideration. It just helps. Yeah, that's a lot. And, and, yeah. And, yeah. You know, and at, at, at 60, I will have uh, been in medicine for about 25 years. Um, I think that's a you know good amount of time to put in, but at the same time, you know, I, there are other. I certainly have a ton of other interests in life, and I've seen a lot of you know friends and coworkers uh, kind of uh, you know pass on um, earlier than expected or become dis- disabled earlier than expected and not be able to really enjoy themselves. I got a lot of stuff I'd like to do, a lot of travel I'd like to do, and so I, I think sixty is going to be a good a good age. Yeah, I mean that, that the solving the healthcare and retirement that's a big problem now for people, oh, it's huge. right? It's huge. Yeah. All right, let's take a quick break from the show and thank Gusto for sponsoring today's episode. A lot of people dream of having their own business, but by having their own business, that also means running their own business. If you're living your entrepreneurial dream but struggling with the tedious administrative tasks, whether it be HR, payroll, employee benefits, or anything else, let Gusto help. Gusto offers all-in-one payroll and HR for growing businesses. From full-service payroll and benefits to team management tools and more, Gusto makes it easy to support your hard-working team in one intuitive platform. Whether your team is in-person, remote, or a combination of both, with Gusto keeping your team on track is easy. So join the more than 200,000 new and growing businesses that are using Gusto to build a great workplace for their employees. Right now, Gusto is offering our listeners three months free at gusto.com slash unveiled. That's Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. Get easy payroll, benefits, HR, and a happier team. So go to gusto.com slash unveiled for your first three months free. Again, that's gusto.com slash unveiled. So thanks to Gusto for sponsoring today's show. So how does the pension work for you? I mean, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but I haven't heard of many doctors that have a pension. Yeah, so um, we are actually a very large um, uh, multi-specialty medical group, and so we, you know, and it's it's physician-run, and and the the group has has been around for seventy years, and it really takes care of its of, of its docs. So the benefits are just fantastic. Um, so we have actually a kind of complex pension system <laughs> has many many branches. The, the 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 mainstay, of course, is just a a, a standard pension um, that can kick in as early as age sixty-five. Um, it's based on your highest um, um, uh, annual compensation, uh, and uh, you know, multiple, with a multiplier for the number of years you worked there. So it's like two percent um, per year for the first twenty years, and then down to one percent a year. So I'd be looking at you know around forty-five percent of the highest um, uh, annual uh, compensation. Now there's a limit actually to what they can use for a highest annual compensation just based on federal law it currently stands at 285,000. So it would actually be a 43% of 285,000. 
Now, that is the main pension that kicks in at 65. And actually, you have the option of delaying that up until age 70 with uh, kind of the standard 8% increase per year, uh, just like Social Security. So if I put that off till 80, it would be you know considerably better. The other parts to pension, um, the, when you hit age 60, you can take what they call um, early full retirement. And that is you can actually start drawing on a pension that comes from a different source that doesn't have that um, $285,000 cap. So I would actually be pulling in, you know, 45% of, you know, my current salary, which is, which is kind of what I live on now or, you know, or even less. So I won't have to touch any of this for that first five years. And then <laughs> because of that $285,000 cap, um, on the, um, the, the, the pension calculation, the medical group actually also kicks in a, just a single pay, payout chunk of change um, when you hit age 65 to make up for that difference if your if your base salary is over that $285,000. So that will probably after tax when I hit 65 spitball and it'll probably be around um, a million and a quarter. So we but you'll get it one, in one lump sum. I get one lump sum at wow. age 60. Actually the, the 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 total is actually about two and a half. Um, but 50% of that will go for, for taxes. So it'll be at about, you know, one, one and a quarter after tax that I'll get at, um, at, uh, 65. So kind of the way that this is my trajectory here is then from 60 to 65, take the full early retirement. I won't have to touch anything else at hit 65 and then take that lump sum. And, you know, it, it's, it's sort of just a concept, you know, a conceptual game. You know, it, on the one hand, you could say, Oh, just stick that in, you know, in a, a money market account and, and live off that for five years, which is, which is, um, you know, one way of looking at it or, you know, put it in with, with everything else and just, you know, uh, you know, start the, the retirement drawdown at that point. Then when I hit 70, I'll, you know, start my pension, the, the regular pension, start Social Security and, and, and all of that. So why didn't you count this pension in your net worth initially? Um, because it's, it's fairly so, you, you, yeah, you could count it in your net worth, but it's kind of dull, uh, a, a whole series of, of assumptions in terms of, you know, what's the market going to return yeah, over the next yeah. 10 years? Then what is the, what is the, the market going to return in the, you know, after I take it? So rather than doing it that way, I just sort of think of, well, that is, you know, I know what the payout's going to be. I know what the pension's going to be. And so I just then readjust my what I need to make off of, you know, what I need to, to draw down from other accounts there. So are there doctors in your practice? that say, hey, I'm just going to get this pension. I'm going to get this lump sum when I retire. Why save money now? Or yeah. do people not really <laughs> yes. think that way? Yeah. No, I have one, one of my best friends is actually, uh, is, says that all the time. And I think he's <laughs> currently off in, in Puerto Vallarta again. Um, yeah, he's, he's definitely not one for delayed gratification. So yeah, definitely there are there are some. So it's it's real money, Mark. I mean, you, you talk about the yeah. 40 whatever percent. I mean, it's what, 125, 130,000-ish, right, of the 247 cap? Of the, uh, the, the, yeah, so uh, if you're looking at the after after tax on the, um, the, 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 the pension, it is, uh, what did I, what did I guesstimate? It's, yeah, it's something along the, you know, 80 to $90,000 a year. Right, right. So yeah. yeah, 125, 130, 80, 90 after tax. Yeah. I mean, you could live pretty well off of that. So, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do with all this money? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um you know, yeah, um, I, you know, I already, so I've already started doing, you know, certainly endowing a donor advised fund fairly, fairly generously at this point. And that that will continue. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely looking looking at for um, uh, for for places for it to go when you know when I when I don't need it any longer. So you know, I, I love the, uh, the 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 concept of you know people you know, pledging to give away half of their money before they die. Um, and so I, I, that's that's definitely kind of something I will be thinking about and. Uh, you know, that, that might be kind of one of my occupations in, in retirement is, is kind of figuring out what, and, and, you know, redistributing some of this. How do you go about that? How do you know who to give and how much to give? So I've already got, you know, I, I give on the order of about 35,000 a year at this point, and they are primarily um, geared towards uh, uh, education, um, environment, um, hunger and human rights. And so those are, that's, that, those are kind of the lanes that I'll, that I'll likely stay in. Okay. Gotcha. Cause uh, I think it's a hard thing. People, you want to start donating money, you want to start helping people, but there's so many people and so many places and so many yeah. causes that you could help. And I yeah. mean, I get it for everybody. It's different. People are passionate about different things. People are yeah. care more. They're more drawn to specific situations. So, but it's still a challenge. It's still a challenge to know that your money's used well and helping it somebody and making a difference. 
Yeah, it definitely is. I, I, you know, that's I, I, I do take a you know reasonable amount of time when I'm you know find out about a new organization, a new potential charity of you know to to really do some research on you know how much of the money is going to you know what they say where they say it's going and and you know what it, what are, what are the outcomes of that money? Right, right. So what as you look back here on your life, I mean, obviously you've done phenomenally well both in your career and financially. Are there a few mistakes or things you wish you would have done differently along the way? Oh, from a financial perspective, you know, I think the big ones are so in terms of the overall trajectory of my life, no, no regrets. I mean, I, I certainly took a lot of, uh, you know, detours and, and, uh, you know, took a lot, took me a long time to get there. And there's certainly, you know, my master's degree, I will, I will never use that again in term in any professional capacity, but you know, I, it's, it's, it's hard to, um, to look back and with regret on, on really any of, any of the things that got me to where I am. I don't know where I'd be where I am if I hadn't gone through a lot of these, these, these kind of detours. And it certainly has been, you know, just, in, you know, life enriching to have studied all of these various things and had all these great experiences. So no regrets there. Financial mistakes are, you know, just some of the classics. I, I, you know, really bought into, you know, the, the, the housing market out here in the Valley was kind of on its, on its, the, uh, uh, asymptotic upslope of the, uh, the 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 boom and uh, followed by the bust mm-hmm. here. And I really wanted to jump on that as soon as I can I you know I, right now I tell people when you're when you're joining the group you know rent for a year or two and really kind of you know see where you want to be and you know see what the housing market is looking like and I certainly didn't take that advice I literally bought my house within you know two weeks of, of, of starting my position <laughs> right you know with the, with the mind of oh you know it's just going to keep going and up and up and so I want to get in early and, and that's just obviously a classic classic mistake um, uh, another thing was, was, um, fi- uh, taking the, you know, hook, line and sinker, the, 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 the auto dealer financing. Um, when I bought my new car, I, I really needed to, um, you know, have, have something reliable fairly quickly. And I really didn't do any due diligence in terms of, <laughs> you know, figuring out what the best, best way for financing the car was. So I ended up yeah. paying probably about 50% more than the value of the car, just in terms of, uh, you know, financing and interest on top of everything else. So what's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? That was it. It was a new uh, 2005 Prius. And so sticker value was, or sticker price was about 22000 And they ended up paying about 33000 by the time two years was out. I'm still driving that car, too. How many miles? Uh, 280. 280? 280, yeah. Well, that's pretty darn good, man. Yeah, it is. For the first several years here, I was I was actually working um, uh, in uh, in a city that's further south than I currently live. So I was putting close to twenty thousand uh, um, uh, a year on it uh, every year. So I drive a little bit less now, but yeah, it's it's still pretty reliable. You know, I've I've I've, I've replaced the the main battery. Um, that was it was not that ex- not as expensive as I feared it was going to be, and it actually it was like, well, I can get a new car, but that's going to be more than just replacing the battery, and you know, so it's a known quantity. So I just I replaced the battery probably about three years ago. So it's, it's, it's partial electric? It's partial electric. Yeah. It's, it's one of the, the old hybrids. This was, this is before they were hybrid. Uh, yeah. 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 Partial electric. Yeah. Who calls part. it that? Yeah. yeah. So one of the other, th- well, let me actually, let me, we'll, we'll jump into that in a sec here, but real estate we've hit on, you have the $2 million in the two primary homes, no right. other real estate, right? No, no, no interest really. No interest. Uh, certainly no interest in being a landlord. And, and how come? And I'm, I just ask you because there's a lot of people that write in, yeah. we have a lot of millionaires that are in real yeah. estate and yeah. people write in and say, Hey, you know, I don't want to do real estate. Yeah. So, um, real estate is, is obviously the darling of the, uh, of the financial independent community. And I just know interest. Um, so, uh, for a variety of reasons, you know, real estate is not a monolith. It is, you know, a whole range of options that, you know, on the one end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, you know, really hands on, like, you know, you own a duplex and, and, you know, you, you know, you, you maintain the place and, and, uh, um, or you own a small apartment building and you're in there with, uh, you know, with the plunger and the, the rotor rooter and, and, uh, you know, you're actively managing and that's, you know, yeah, it's an investment, but that's really, that's a, that's another job. I mean, that's a, that's a small business. It's, that's not just a, a you know, investment. And then sort of, and, and as you get less and less hands on, um, you know, you can get someone to manage your property. You can get someone to, you know, your, 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 you know, Johnny on the spot for, for doing the, the, the maintenance and the like. But as you get further removed, obviously it's less profitable. And that type of real estate also isn't that really tax. There are some tax advantages in terms of the depreciation on the properties. Um, but it, it, the income is, 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 you know, is taxed as regular income. And on the other end of the spectrum, you know, you got things like, um, like REITs, which, um, you know, they're, they perform fine. You know, you know, as well as probably any other investment. But again, they're not necessarily tax advantage, depending on um, the type of REIT that you have. 
and it's they might be good for diversifying your portfolio to some extent. So you know that that end of the spectrum is might be something I might be interested in looking at later. But in terms of the owning actual properties, not so much not so much interest. Also, it's it's kind of the opposite of what we're doing with, with these you know broad based mutual funds. It is extremely not diverse. <laughs> it is you know you've got one or maybe a few properties probably in the same housing market. You know if something goes wrong in that area, you know that how ha- that housing market takes a takes a dive or or you know you get a you know some local depression or catastrophe or something you know that's a lot of eggs in 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 not so many baskets you know and then on top of everything else already about 25 percent of my net worth is is 20 25 percent of my net worth is is already in real estate even though it's residential houses so at this point i don't feel like i need that that degree of diversification so if you do move from the one home that you're that you that that you're thinking about selling right right do do you you don't think at all just hey i'll just keep it and rent it out no interest no 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 interest so you know, one of one of I would say of the things about my current position, which I which I really love, the things that I like the least are being on call um, and uh, dealing with people behaving badly. And two of those two things are are part and parcel of being. I would be just as happy to leave those things behind. So yeah, no, no interest. So yeah, I know you talked about your history a little bit or story. You uh-huh. you mentioned in, in the notes beforehand that your parents are pretty frugal. Yeah. What impact did that have on you? And and do you find it hard now having money and having a higher net worth, being able to spend more money? Is it hard to make that switch or not it's, so much? It's it's a little bit hard to make that switch. Um, you know, certainly I, I grew up very frugal and I just from my circumstances, you know, even up through even residency, you know, we just didn't have you know, much income. And so those, those habits, you know, really served me well. And so, you know, that's, that's really 40 years of habits to, to try to break. Um, and so yeah, to an extent it does particularly, but really sort of for bigger ticket items. Um, there is just that little bit of, of catch in the throat as, uh, you know, transferring money over to, you know, pay for a two week trip to Madagascar a couple of weeks, a couple of years ago. Um, but really that's fairly brief, especially when I know what, what that money is going for. So I, I don't really have that, um, that hesitancy so much to spend the money. But I also know that with, you know, with my background and, and you know, I, I know how to cook rice and beans. I know how to, you know, live extremely um, inexpensively. So, you know, that's while people are tell you to be cautious about your ability to be flexible in terms of your income, if something goes wrong, I know very well that I can that I can make that flex. Yeah. What percent of this was luck versus skill? Oh, gosh, a lot. <laughs> um, so. You know, on the uh, the on the spending side, again, just given my given my background, I it just came so naturally to me not to be spending all this money, even when it when it started coming in. Um, so, you know, just the luck of my my frugal background, and then just the luck of the fact that I happened, you know, when I was deciding to go into medicine, you know, after all all those different detours, money was just not something I was thinking about. Um, you know, it was really the, 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 the profession, the calling that um, that I was that I was after, and so the the income was gravy. Um, and so it just was was lucky that I happened to end up, you know, falling in love with a profession that happens to be very highly compensated. So, you know, luck on the supply side, luck on the demand side. And just um, it's a lot of it's just been luck. Yeah. As much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of income through your work in life? So back in residency, when Michael was in medical school and I was a resident, internship year made $24,000 in the Bay Area. <laughs> Lots of eating in the cafeteria. <laughs> um, boy, I tell you, got, uh, you know, there was, there was a time that I got a, two parking tickets and that was a lot of ramen that month because that was oh, a big chunk geez. of my, <laughs> big chunk of my income. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then this last year is probably going to be our peak. So, you know, I, I, um, combined, you know, Michael was, was in a, a position at that point that he was pretty, pretty well compensated as well. So the two of us together probably made around 900,000 last year. So, and that's an interesting topic. I mean, you said you stop when you win the game, but you, yeah. you start making that much money. There's has to be a part of you that says, gosh, if I just work another year, it's another half million dollars every year I work. Is it yeah. hard to walk away? No, from, from the income? No, no. 
um, you know, it, it, it definitely, you know, as you say, I've, I've reached the point where if I wanted to stop working now, I could, but I, I, you know, I, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. I feel like I'm, I have an obligation to, to everything, to, you know, the, the area where I'm working, to my medical group, to the people I work with, you know, to, to stick it out for a few more years, even if I weren't, you know, happy doing what I'm doing. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll stick it out for, for a few more years happily. But then at that point, you know, it's time to move on to other things. Yeah. So as you look back now in your life and think about this financial journey and in, in your career as a doctor, it sounds to me that part of what kept you going is that you enjoyed your career and you were passionate about what you did. Yes. Is that part of what made you successful or are there a couple of things that you would pinpoint and say, hey, that's, you know, that's how I did it. That's how somebody else can do it. That's how I was able to, to reach $10 million, really. I would say, um, you know, being just being very, um, I am someone who likes to plan. Um, I think in five and 10 and 20 year blocks. And so just kind of plotting that the trajectory out very early on, um, you know, when I, and I think that part of that was, you know, when we first went to that first seminar, when they're talking about the, 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 the income streams at various points in, in, um, in, uh, in, in the pension, I really, at that point, I sat down and I mapped out, you know, from age 40 to age 75, you know, figuring out what was going to happen when and kind of just, you know, figured out what I was going to need to be doing with, you know, um, you know both contributions and allocation um, at various points. And so I really, I, I literally have that map that I update fairly frequently sitting on my desk in my office. Um, so wow. I think that that has been something that's been very helpful to keep me, keep me focused, keep me on task. Um, to, to reassure me when, you know, things like March happen in the stock market, um, just to know that I'm on track and that, that there is a plan and that, uh, um, that I'm, I'm sticking to it. Yeah. Do people know that you're worth $10 million? And I, the people that do know, do they, do they treat you any differently? They, you know, I know they don't for the most part. Even I even have to remind my husband of that every now and then. You know, <laughs> I, it's funny. He is, he's actually got an MBA. So he's an, he, he's an MD, MBA, and actually a master's in public health as well. He oh, has well, zero wow. interest in personal finance. I'm, I'm definitely the, the, the CFO of the family. So, and I even have to keep reminding him. It, it's funny. We were, we were in a position this, just this last year where his, the, his last position was, he, he, he does big picture stuff. He does, um, uh, you know, medical informatics and he does data mining and he, he does has some, uh, some degree of clinical practice, but he really is sort of a uh, senior vice president, you know, C-suite type of person. He tends to do shorter stint jobs. He will go in for a purpose, usually for a limited time. His most recent position fairly quickly became fairly untenable. And unlike, you know, every other job switch that he has had, he did not have something lined up, you know, in advance. And so he, it was, you know, two weeks, I'm out of here. And so he was really kind of worried. It's like, oh my gosh, we're going to, we're, you know, we're not going to have my income for, you know, a couple of months before I get something up and running. And I'm like, don't worry about it. You know, you, you, you know, you find something that's good for you. You find something that you want to do. You know, you find a position that's going to work for you. We're fine financially not contributing to, you know, our brokerage account for a few months while you right. get yourself, you know, in your new position. So, yeah, I mean, I even have to remind him. And so, no, the, the, the bottom line is, you know, most people don't, don't have an idea of my net worth. Okay. Uh, just wrapping up here, uh, what books or products do you recommend? What's, what's been influential for you? So, uh, as I said, personal finance for dummies was a great starting point. In terms of mindset, uh, I, I loved um, your money or your money or your life. That was a great way to kind of think about um, time and money. Uh, in terms of finance, uh, in terms of uh, personal uh, finance blogs, um, as I said, a lot of the, the, the personal finance blogs or the, the fire blogs kind of get. You know, this is the same material over and over again with you know, yep, a lot of echo yep, chamber. Yep, yep. One of the one of the ones that I still go back to and really like is um, uh, early retirement now. Just Karsten maths the heck out of stuff, and I really love his you know his big spreadsheets of uh, and you know breaking it down. You know, here's what happens in ten years if you have this allocation and, and the like. So I, I really look forward to every new post that he has. Awesome. Um, I don't use any. Um, Anything like Quicken or any um, uh, any of these uh, programs or sites, um, I my brokerage account and my my four hundred one k's and like are all through Fidelity, and um, they have some really nice tools online and and you know some nice ways of organizing visualization of your net worth and the like. So I'm 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 pretty happy with the tools that they use. Awesome. So let me just fire off some rapid fire questions here, and, sure. and then we'll close it up. 
how old were you when you became a millionaire? Do you remember? Um, yeah, I think about 50. 50? And then, yeah. how, I mean, how soon did you get to two and five? It was about four million. Excuse me. It was about um, four uh, years later after my first million that it was the second. And then it's really only been in about the last two or two, let's say two and a half years or so that, that I was at five. Wow. So that happened. I mean, yeah, it's crazy working on this, whatever we're at now, 14 year bull market, right? Yeah. 13 years or 12 years or so. Yeah. Right. Clearly can't last. And, and, you know, one of the things I got my eye on, one of, one of my goals is to make sure that everything is kind of bulletproof in terms of, you know, can I ride out a, a, uh, you know, 40%, 50% downturn. Right. Right. Uh, have you ever used a financial advisor? Um, very sparingly. Um, you know, the, uh, uh, again, our medical group pays for, um, a, the services of a financial advisor through Fidelity, but really I only did a one-time check-in with him about three years ago, you know, just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. He had a couple, uh, you know, a couple small pieces of advice, like, you know, increase your, your umbrella insurance and give me, you know, specific amount of like, but mostly it's been just, um, you know, check-in and, and most of it I've been doing it on my own. Um, one person I do use very frequently is actually our, our tax accountant. Um, uh, you know, uh, both for, um, our taxes have been fairly complex at various points, um, back in. So we actually got married back in 2008 when same sex marriage was legal in California, but was not recognized on the state level. And so for a number of years, we actually had to file three sets of taxes. We had to file federal tax, oh. um, uh, uh, as a, at married and, and single. The single we would submit to the IRS and the married we would then use to do our California taxes. So that's when we first started using Jason. Um, but now um, Michael actually does a lot of his work now through his LLC, and that includes both some contract work that he does and also his consulting work. Um, and so um, we've been working with him both in terms of the tax implications of that and then also figuring out how we do a 401k for him as, as a self-employee. Yeah. So last question here. What does it mean to be happy and fulfilled to you and and has the money brought you happiness i would say um you know, i've been happy at, at mo most most points of my life even you know when i'm working on subsistence wages um just you know having a sense of purpose um you know really enjoying what you do enjoying the people around you whether that's family or, or good friends and so you know that that's been kind of a, a constant throughout um you know what the 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 money has done is really let me um just have some fabulous experiences. I mean, I, you know, I mentioned the trip to Madagascar. We, we do, you know, we go to, um, to, to Europe, you know, at least once a year. We go to Hawaii, you know, at least once a year. And, you know, every, at this point, uh, except for this last year, we've been doing kind of a big adventure trip every year as well. And so just some of those, you know, I'm, I'm getting a chance to, to, to live the National Geographic of, of my, my youth. And I just enjoying the heck out of it. And that's just not something I could do, obviously, <laughs> if I didn't have the resources. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you. And, and thanks for joining us, hey, Mark. It's been my Super interesting story. And I'm just going to say you're at 10 million here, but 7.5 without the pension, about 10 with the pension. So thanks again for coming on. Thanks for sharing hey. your story. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.